Yeah, just going through college, you know, majority of people are Mexican. Anything you go to is like the Chicano Center or whatever. And it's like everything is very like Mexican oriented or Mexican American oriented. I didn't really have a whole lot. So I I guess through that, I was like, okay, well, there's so many resources for like these Mexican Americans and us like Central Americans or Salvadorians or this. And like, I get that there's a majority of them. And I always used to grow up thinking about it as like, I'm a minority within a minority. I'm a subgroup of a group. Yes, yes. I feel the same way. I'm a niche, Mm -hmm. you know, so, so. (laughs) Yeah. My name is Raimundo Archila. I am a filmmaker in every sense of the word. So I do pretty much A to Z. My main source of income is doing commercials because money. Over time, I've been wanting to do more content for my people and what, what I like and what I represent. So it's more fun. So I'm Salvadorian. So I've been connecting more of people that are in the Salvi community. I work a lot with few influencers that are comedians. And I made a short film based on the urban legend of La Siwanawa. It's been fun promoting it and seeing different people's reactions to it. I did read and I know that you're from the Bay Area. Yeah, I was actually thinking about that on my way here. I was like, "Is you gonna? Are you gonna ask me where I'm from? Because I'm I'm so confused now. I <laughs> I'll say this: I'm a Californian boy through and through. I was born out here in SoCal, but when I was maybe about five, we moved out to the Bay Area. So I've been living. I lived in the Bay Area until I was about 18, mm-hmm. and then I came here for college and have stayed since I was 18. I'm 29 now. Technically speaking, I'm more of a SoCal person than a Bay Area person, but I like to claim that I'm from the Bay because that's my formative years, technically speaking. I love it. I'm a California girl myself, and I yeah. used to spend summers in San Jose with my cousins. I do have like a little Bay Area in me as well, and I do say hella and hecka sometimes, and people are like, why do you say that? It's such a like fun word. Like you, you, When you want to like add a little pizzazz, you say that's hella cool. Yes, I love hella. My cousins used to say hecka because their mom was like, no, you can't say hella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm curious to hear about your experience as a Salvi in the Bay Area growing up. Non-existent. What, is, what do you mean? Like you, there so, weren't other Salvis. So my parents are like the traditional, like stereotypical, like Salvadorian story. 1982, civil war, they moved out. They immigrated through Guatemala, Mexico, and came here uh, illegally. And they had my brother. My mom was seven months pregnant with my brother when wow. they crossed the border. You know, MS-13 was happening. They lived in Havenhurst or Van Nuys areas, so the valleys. So the gangs are kind of like tough in that era. And then I was actually born around the 94 earthquake for the Nerf Ridge Mall. My parents are always like afraid of like my brother turning into like a cholo and like, you know, just being around that, you know, eventually like you either make friends that way or whatever. So they decided to get out of there and move up to the Bay where they had, my dad had some family. And we lived out with my aunt for a little bit in Redwood City, which is more like a little Mexican area, depending on what part you live in. There's more Mexicans than anything. There's a few Salvadorans, but not that many. Through time, we started living in San Carlos, which is like a very bougie white neighborhood. Yes, I was there. I just was there recently. I'd never seen it before, but the people I do know from there are rich white people. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I live in apartments of San Carlos from like the age of maybe six to like 12. Oh. 
So I went, I went to those schools. So basically, like, you can count the black kids on your hands. There's, like, five black kids. For Latinos, there's maybe 10, 12 Latinos. Otherwise, it was, like, majority Asian, white, and the few, like, Middle Eastern kids, whatever, and Indian kids. But it's kind of like the environment that I grew up in. And then when I got older, my parents had enough money to buy a house in San Mateo. And so I moved out to San Mateo. And that, that was a little bit different. There's, like, weird beef between San Mateo and Foster City. I don't know why. Anyways, if you're from Foster City, you're basically Asian. If you're from San Mateo, you're either white or Latino. So yeah, I went to Hillsdale High School and that's kind of like where I started making more friends that were not white. I made more friends that were immigrants, oddly enough. So like Filipinos, a few Hispanics, a few Asians. Unless I had visits with my family, I didn't really know any Salvadorians. If I knew them, it was maybe one out of I don't know how many Latinos I met. So to me, it was very non-existent. And I think also just, you know, the environment that I grew up in is just very, you know, white and just Asians. And so that's kind of what you get used to. I grew up here in Montebello and it was predominantly Latino, but mostly Mexicans. I learned at home that I was Nicaraguense. I was told that as like some point of pride. And if somebody says that you're Mexican, you let them know you're Nicaraguense. I went to school having this mentality that I had to identify as Nica and it got me made fun of a little bit. Yeah, that is different than what I experienced because my parents were more, well, at least my dad. My dad's kind of funny. He was always like, you're a fucking citizen. So I act like a citizen. So some gringo, blah, blah, blah. Not like that fully, but like, he's kind of like, you're an American. He's like, he's a citizen. Kind of like, they're gassing me up being like, you can do anything you know because you're an american so you can do anything like this is the land of opportunity yada yada so i kind of always grew up with the mentality that i was american but the first time i found out that i was Salvadorian was because i was like in kindergarten or first grade i was hanging out with uh my friend went out to the library his mom took us they they were white one day the mom was just kind of like so what are you and i was like american yeah, 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 but, you know, like, are you, like, Mexican or this or that? I was like, I don't know. I'm American. And she just kept poking and prodding to the point where, like, I didn't, oh, I didn't know how to answer it. Wow. I was just like, I'm just American. And then I went home that day and asked my mom. I was like, so what am I? What ethnicity? Am I, like, Mexican or whatever? She looked at me weird. She's like, no, you're Salvadoran. You're taking you to Salvador, like, every year since you were a kid. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's true. So that's I didn't, where I didn't, we're from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't know I was Salvadoran until that day. Not a lot of identifying as Salvi then early on. Early on, no. I think it wasn't until I got to college where I'm a first gen going to college, immigrant parents. I went to USC. I didn't necessarily have the best of grades or the worst of grades for university like that. Like I had a 3.4 GPA. That's pretty good. It's pretty good, yeah, but like compared to other people that I had met and talked to, all of them were like 3.8s or 4.0s because they took a bunch of APs or whatever. And I had like 1,600 uh, SAT score out of 2,400 or 2,200, whatever it is. Yeah. They put me in this program called Summer Bridge, which I really appreciated. I thought it was like really great where you go the summer in between your senior year of high school and your freshman year of college. So they get people that they consider, I guess, like at risk. They put you in a dorm and they give you like college classes where they teach you how to one, write like essays at a college level, but it's like a class of how to learn at an academic level of that level and like how to help, you know, retain knowledge and how to do research a little bit more at that level. And it it was cool. I think the cool thing about it is like you got to hang out with people that were of color. So there's like a lot of Latinos, a few Asians. And so like you hang out and like, obviously they were like, once you get here, this is the only time you're going to see a room filled of, you know, people of color. You got to get 
going to classes, it was majority white people. And then like started hanging out with more Latinos, I guess, cause I clicked a little bit more with them and, uh, yeah, just going through college. I think, it, you know, majority of people are Mexican. Anything you go to is like the Chicano center or whatever. And it's like, everything is very like Mexican oriented or Mexican American oriented. And so like, I was like, okay, well there's so many resources for like these Mexican Americans. And like, what about us like Central Americans or Salvadorians mm-hmm. or this? And like, I get that there's a majority of them and yada, yada. I always, I always used to grow up thinking about it as like I'm a minority within a minority I'm yes. a subgroup of a group you know yes yes I like feel I'm the a, same I'm way. a niche mm-hmm. you know so <laughs> so yeah it, it built a lot of like weird hate not towards Mexicans just the system of how it's built and what we cater to and so like growing through that I was like well I want to showcase my culture I guess I want people to know more than just pupusas ms-13 in a civil war and that's yeah. that's where like a lot of it comes from and there's an era which a lot of salvadorians can point to and i guess central americans even is 2016 when trump was president and that's when the, the majority of the bashing happened for like ms-13 and like transnational gangs and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff and i think that was like the straw that broke the camel's back because during that time there's a lot of salvadorian groups that started popping up and i was starting to do research and i found like salvi Sulanch, la pupusa urban eatery other groups that were promoting salvadorian culture and and just doing it in a way that I thought was really cool that I had never seen before and stuff that I had always wanted to see and like I think in that point is when I started thinking about how I want to showcase my culture and and so I started making up with like concepts and ideas and that's all they were at the time they're just ideas and concepts until you know now that's so cool I feel like I went the other way kind of just gave into Mexican culture a lot of the Nika pride was at home. I felt pride. Like I, the food, I loved it. And like my grandparents were very like into their roots. My grandpa was a doctor here. So he assimilated very quickly. Like he spoke mostly in English. And yeah. even when I would speak to him in Spanish, he would respond to me in English. Cause he was like, no, I'm like, I've been in this country. I speak English. He had a very heavy accent, but yeah, yeah. he wanted you to know he was part of. So gringo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but never like that. I also think he identified as Mexican because he went to UNAM. And so he went to medical school in Mexico City. And I think he kind of got a lot of Mexican culture. And then coming here to California, well, Southern California, especially Mexicans are the majority. So now I feel I'm married to a Mexican. All of my friends really are mostly Mexican. I'm in it. I'm in the Mexican culture. I feel like I identify more as Mexican than I do as Nika because I don't have access to Nicaraguan culture like I'm my dad is still very much Nicaraguense but like he's married to a white woman he lives in Fontana like there's no more of the culture left to share he's fully Americanized Mm simulated all that you know it's each their own it's 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 hard being an immigrant coming here because it's it's truly is is a melting pot I went Mm -hmm. to Mexico not too long ago I was like at a bar and I'm I'm not like really like a big party go out person but I was bored and there was this group of people next to me that were like super drunk I just wanted to chit chat or whatever and so I started chit chatting with them they're so drunk that after like I don't know like five minutes they were like hold on hold on hold on this is like this is bothering me this is bothering me like all in spanish right like this is bothering me it's obvious to tell that you're like american your accent blah blah blah, the way you speak spanish but like where the fuck are you from you you kind of talk like a mexican but you kind of don't you know it's kind of weird like what like what's what's up with that Mm -hmm. they're like what are you oh you know like i'm yeah i'm from the united states but my parents are from el salvador they kind of did this light bulb they're like oh okay that that yeah that makes a lot of sense you know but they're Mm -hmm. like why do you talk like a mexican i was like because i live in california in southern california and they're like the hell does that mean i was like there's a bunch of motherfuckers out there what do you mean what does that mean there's so much mexican culture out there and they're like oh yeah that's true that's true okay cool and just like the conversation just continued like normal but it's 
it's the name of the game. I guess like if you already live in New York, you're eventually going to talk like a Dominican or a yeah. Cuban or Puerto Rican or whatever. You For know? sure. I, I actually love going to places where I hear all the different Spanish yeah. because I have a lot of insecurity around my accent. My Spanish was excellent growing up. And then I started to speak it in front of people and they would be like, what accent is that? Where are you from? And I was like, oh, I hate I, I It almost felt like the spotlight was on me. Yeah. And then I didn't want to use the Spanish anymore. And now my husband, Ralph, he's Mexican. Mexican, and he has no shame about his Spanish at all. He'll make up fucking words. He doesn't give a fuck. He'll talk to anybody in Spanish. Yeah. Even if he doesn't know quite what he's going to ask or whatever, like he'll just make it up or explain what he's trying to say. And watching him be so badass in his Spanish, I'm like, dude, I should just do it. I should just use my Spanish more. And I'm trying to, but man, it's uncomfortable, I will say. Yeah, it's it's hard. I've definitely been in situations where I'm talking to someone in Spanish and they suddenly switch English on me and it happened a lot to me in college and I was like, Well obviously you have an accent, like obviously you prefer Spanish and you know, I'm, I need to practice my Spanish, so mm-hmm. why don't you speak to me in Spanish? Like yeah. what is what is your deal? But I don't you know it's hard. I think I think it's such a it's a case by case basis, you know, everybody But what do you to, think it is? Do you think there's shame behind Spanish? Or having it feel like you're not assimilating to the culture if you speak in another language? Because 'Cause I'm trying to figure out what it is for me you know like i said it's like uh we're a melting pot we're a country where like if you spoke chinese and you lived in a really heavy chinese community you don't have to speak a lick of english for the rest of your life so it doesn't it's a case-by-case basis it depends on where you grow up and and what you want to do right because yeah. my mom she speaks okay english my dad speaks a little bit better english and you know they're forced to speak english and they improve you know and I'm kind of like you where I grew up only speaking Spanish until I was five when I went to kindergarten School. or whatever mm-hmm. it was. Yeah, <laughs> and I was forced to learn English, but I don't know what it is. I just, it's a, it's really just a case-by-case basis and yeah. what that person wants in their life, you know? For sure. A lot of people make fun of me now where they're like, I'm the Salvi senator because like com- compared to when they first <laughs> met me to like now, I'm very, I'm Salvadorian, I'm Salvi, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm whatever. I don't think I was very, very prideful about being Latino, especially that I grew up and, and, you know, the condition, but now it's like, that's who I am. And yeah. what's up? You know? like, yes. Growing yeah. up for me, it's like, I don't care to give people my name. I'd never say Raimundo. Even mm-hmm. if I say Raimundo, Raimundo, Raymond, mm-hmm. it's like the first thing that comes out of my mind, Raymond. You know, people that speak Spanish now, you know, people yeah. that are Latino and love the culture and everything. And they just call me Raymond. They're like, all right, whatever, dude, it doesn't matter. But that's why I usually tell people my name is Ray. Cause if I yeah. say Raimundo, it just gets reduced to Raymond. And certain people say Raimundo, but mm-hmm. I say Erika now because that's what I feel my name is. I have two cousins and they called me Erika growing up. When I would start dating men and they would call me Erika, I'd tell them, can you not? That's not my name. My name's Erika. <laughs> yeah. And so Ralph calls me Erika. And when I introduce myself to people, I want them to call me Erika. I always felt Erika was a very serious name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> And yeah. it doesn't feel like my name. I try and spell it out phonetically whenever i can so that people will just say erica but it's it's hard i've spelled out my name phonetically too and i feel like i did the exact same thing that people do to me that people do to you right where you said erica and i said oh erica (laughs) it's like Mm -hmm. like, i struggle with that like even when i order food i I order a burrito i don't order a burrito i don't order a churro i order a churro yeah i mean yes that's true that's true yeah i guess i'm selective in that way also that's so funny. I didn't even think about that. But I always say cilantro. <laughs> you always have to have cilantro on your tacos, you know? Yes. Did you go to film school? 
I did go to film school. I went to USC School of Cinematic Arts. Amazing. Okay, so I want to hear about that because I went to film school at Cal State LA, which I don't know if you can even say I went to. I'm going to say I went to film school at Cal State LA because I studied film there. And I still felt like the majority of the people that I was studying with were white. Mm -hmm. Even at Cal State LA, where I think it was predominantly people of color. And I didn't know what to call it at the time. I still don't even know if this counts as imposter syndrome but i remember feeling once i got into school there and seeing like people who were kind of naturally gifted yeah that i didn't know how to feel about myself and my own self-worth i would look at their work and think i'll never make anything that good maybe i should just like not maybe i should just take notes in these classes and like stand by and like help other people but not be in the spotlight at all oh wow How did you feel? I mean, I think for me, I had very supportive parents that, so, I mean, I could, I could tell you how I feel and I can tell you how other people, probably my perception of how things went. But for me personally, I think my parents are very supportive of me no matter what I do. And I think that's not normal for immigrant parents, especially, you know, I feel like I've heard a lot of people that have immigrant parents are always like, no, you got to be a doctor. You got to be a lawyer because you got to, you got to, you got to help move us forward you got to push us up the the ladder right and my parents were always more like do what you love and do it well you know, mm-hmm. and, and so that's always been awesome. And I started learning filmmaking in, in high school. And so I found a free program. My brother found it for me, actually, called uh, Bay Area Video Coalition, BayVac. And they had a branch called The Factory. So it's in Oakland. I live in San Mateo. They accepted me because I had a lot of passion and promised them that I would get my ass from San Mateo to Oakland. So I took public transportation there twice a week. It took me about three hours round trip. So I took Samtrans 390 all the way to the Millbrae BART station, took the BART from Melbourne all the way to Oakland and Jeez. it was like right out it was like two blocks away from the from the station but mm-hmm. I did that twice a week and I was exhausted most of the time like when I wasn't there I'd get home from school and take a nap and that's how I learned filmmaking and then I didn't know anything about colleges and I had a teacher that recommended USC and you know I just thought it was a long shot but I just still applied and you know because I had a big portfolio from that that program that I had I got in, I think, because I had a, a good portfolio, but also I was confident and I told them that I want to do storytelling and this and that. And I think that really helped. And, and so I think I just always grew up with that. Like everybody around me liked what I did and had fun. And so for me, I never felt like the imposter. I felt like this is what I was supposed to do because I, I was, what is the nurtured, right? Like I was yes. nurtured from both my parents. I was nurtured from people around me. People saw that I had a passion. And, yeah. and that's, that's like the cool thing I think about where I went to school and, and people that, that around me, they just sort of nurtured me to follow my passions or follow my dreams. And, and that's, that's a blessing. Like, I don't think everybody has that. And so when I went to film school, I did feel like a little fish in a big pond because there's just so much talent. There's all these cool people and, and I needed to like showcase who I was, but I wasn't, I'm not a very loud person. So Mm. I just like letting my work speak for itself. I loved film school. I had a lot of fun. I think the one complaint that I had is I wanted to be a DP and um, nobody really wanted to hire me as a DP and I was always a grip or a gaffer. And then I don't know. You, you yes. remember, yeah. So like for people that don't know, being a grip or a gaffer is a way to describe it is like over glorified manual labor because you're carrying heavy light stands and equipment and moving it around. And, you know, in college, you're doing this for free for friends. And, you know, after a while, I was like, I didn't pay to go to college to be doing this stuff. I want to be creative and do projects. So yeah, I went into editing. Because nice. you don't need money to film your your stuff and people always need an editor and that's kind of what sustained me post-college because I can work remotely, I can work in an office, whatever, and I edit and that's 
been my main source of revenue for the last 10 years. So do you edit for like different editing houses? Do you for a studio for what? Just Not, different independent projects? Just, yeah, just in the different independent projects. I work a lot on short films, music videos, corporate videos. I've edited uh, an independent feature. I've done documentaries, basically the whole gamut. You name it, I've done it. I think that was always a dream of mine. I have an aunt who has always been extremely supportive of me and my talent. Air quotes, not air quotes. Who knows? (laughs) She was always like, I don't know, encouraging me. Like she thought I was funny and she thought I was cool. And when I went to college, I registered as a animal health science major. And she was like, what are you doing? (laughs) And I was like, I love animals. And she's like, no, dude, this is not what you should be doing. Get out of there. She said, if you go into film school, I will help you get a job when you are out of school because she's in accounting in the industry. And I was like, okay. And so during college, I had so much fun with the filmmaking, mostly the writing. I just never allowed myself to become part of those little groups of students who would get together and just make movies on their own. Like just never felt like participating. I don't know why. I don't know if I was scared, but she got me a job in accounting. I just was so scared and I stayed in accounting. Like I took this accounting path and she's like, I never meant for you to stay in accounting. You need to get the fuck out of here. (laughs) And like on every instance where I've decided I wanted to quit my job or when I just was feeling this life that I'm living right now is not me being true to myself. She was like, dude, do it, do it, do it. And she's been pushing me forever. And I mean, this podcast is as close as I'm getting to really letting myself be who I'm destined to be. But I wish that I had been, you know, and I'm not saying it's somebody else's fault because really tons of people don't get the support that they need and they still follow their dreams. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know what was in the way for me. And and I love hearing stories like yours where you like took advantage of the resources in your area and then you went to school and you just fucking did it. And now like you made a movie. (laughs) That's so cool. And I watched your movie. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, there's there's one thing that I think that uh, somebody once said to me that I think is really funny, uh-huh. which is when I'm ready, I'm ready. Yeah, it's true. I mean, John, John Hamm. Is that his name? John Hamm, the actor. Yeah. John Hamm, the actor. Mad Men. Mad Men. Yeah. Mad Men. Me- yeah. Sorry, I'm a stoner. <laughs> <laughs> no Mad Men was his first Big anything. Oh, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Like that's when he broke into the industry oh, wow. at like 40 something years old. Wow. So I think it's totally possible when I'm ready. I'm ready. That's, that's really good. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've talked to other filmmakers that push along projects slowly, but surely. And they're like, Hey, I'm not here for a long time, but I'm here for a good time. And they just burn themselves out. I've talked to other filmmakers that like, I'm going to tell stories at the pace of life, you know? So you got all your life to get out whatever you need to get out and that's great work on stuff Mm -hmm. i just submitted my writing for the first time last year after writing for since i was a child pretty much my aunt that supportive aunt always wanted me to write stuff and she's like you write something like give it to me like i'll give it to somebody and i'm just like no i have so many friends who have said that to me i don't know what's in my way to be totally honest with you, I wish I could identify what it is and then just like pluck it out of my DNA so that I could take off running. But I'm just, I guess I'm not a sprinter. I guess I get there when I get there. Nothing wrong with a marathon. No, no, no. Ralph always says that everything is just the marathon of life. Slow and steady. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you got, I don't know, hopefully you got until you're 120. You yeah, know? I actually just said to someone the other day that I don't want to live that long. <laughs> I'm actually real good with not making it to 120. It's not one of my goals. I want to have a really epic death. Oh, wow. I want to know that it's coming. I'm saying that I welcome at around a good time in my life yeah, where I feel like I've accomplished everything that I came here to do. Right. That all of a sudden my body would be like, okay. It's time. It's time. And then I would have a celebration of my life where I like spend all this time with the people that I really care about. Yeah. And then I take myself out with a <laughs> heavy dose of heroin. Jesus Christ. That's what, that's how I want to go. And I watched this show, this docu-series called Time of Death. And it was about people like at the end of their lives. It was about people who like euthanize themselves. Oh, and wow. I, yeah. I know that it's like kind of creepy or whatever, but I think it's really beautiful. Like getting to make that choice, not having to go through the suffering. So I don't want to be like in diapers. I don't want to be having yeah. to be somebody's person to take care of. So I'm just, right. I'm out, bro. And I've never tried heroin. So that'll be like my first time and my last time. Wow. Wow. That's a, that's a crazy way of thinking about life. I haven't thought about when I'm going to die, but I wanted to die. I want to die in my sleep. I just, okay. just want to die that's, peacefully. That's good. Yeah, I should wish for that too, I guess. <laughs> but then I wouldn't get to have my big party. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you could always have a big party, but no, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how I would feel going to someone's party knowing that they're going to kill themselves at the end of it. I guess that's like, the, would you hold that information or would you tell? No, people? I would tell everybody. I'm no, I'm going to be fair. I'm going to just say like, hey, by then, this will be so commonplace. I think. Right, right. It already Everybody's is. Like, you can't just do it on a whim they make you go through a series of interviews you have to be terminally ill in order for like you can't just do it because like oh fuck i owe the dmv so i don't know i thought it was a really beautiful way to go out i don't fear death interesting wow yeah i think the one fear that i always had of death is like dying alone but almost everyone dies alone right but i think that's kind of like i think you're kind of right where like that's a beautiful way to die with Ones that you love and 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 have. still have a grasp on what's going on, right? As opposed to like having. And I'm not saying that everyone should kill themselves, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I am saying that Alzheimer's runs in my family. Uh, well. I'm doing everything I can to prevent it, but yeah. I've seen it take my grandpa. I've seen it take my grandma, sort of. And it's so sad. They lost sight of who they were, and like by the end. They were not the same people that I once t- yeah. and knew. They were just fractions of themselves. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, it is. Let's talk about your movie. <laughs> Great segue. <laughs> yeah. Death. Tell me the name of it again. It's called Manhunt. It's based on the urban legend of La Siwanawa. La Siwanawa is somebody who punishes in unfaithful men. Unfaithful men, debaucherous men, just all around bad men. Have you heard of this urban legend before? No, but once I saw it in the bio of your film, uh-huh. I looked it up because I wanted to know what it meant. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's like a very famous urban legend in El Salvador. The difference between El Salvador and most countries is that she has a son, El Cipitio, which is a kid with a big pot belly, big charro hat, and has his legs backwards. And he's kind of like a mischievous child that picks on girls mainly, other kids and He's and a whatnot. necio. He's a travieso. He's a travieso for sure. It's interesting because like Guatemala has a version of La Siwanawa. It's slightly different. Most of Central America has a version of it. The Dominican Republic has one called La Siguapa. Even other countries that are, you know, conquered by Spain supposedly have a version of it. So like uh, in the Philippines, it's called the woman in white. It's very popular. 
Okay. So tell me why this appeals to you specifically. I guess it comes from a love of, one, I love horror films. Like, horror films are my top thing. I love watching them. I'll watch them by myself. I'll watch them during the day. I'll watch them before going to sleep. Whatever. I'll watch them 24-7, right? Yeah, they're great. I like them, too. Yeah, yeah. So I love watching them. And then La Cionawa was something that, when I went to El Salvador, it was something that, like, was always there. Like, when my mom took me to a a restaurant or a hotel somewhere in El Salvador, there was a statue of her and, like, basically, like, a little river stat, like, a fountain, but it looked like a river. And then Cipitillo was, like, a few feet away from her. And I'd always ask, like, what is that? Who is she? And everybody would be like, you don't know? It's La Ciwanawa. La Ciwanawa. But then they'd tell me the story. And then in El Salvador, my dad would always tell me a story of La Ciwanawa when I was a kid growing up and how he knew somebody that had an encounter with her. And just if, if you're from El Salvador, it feels like everyone has a story of La Ciwanawa. That's awesome. <laughs> do but you have one? I do not. No. Do you know of one? Do you know a good one? Not an amazing one to tell. The ones that my dad would tell me would be like, this is one I always thought was interesting because he said this was like broad daylight, which I thought was interesting. Before the sunsets, he said that there used to be like a local thing where they set up a theater where they would charge like 10 cents or whatever for kids to watch. And he said the local playboy, whatever, was talking to his hot chick and suddenly they disappeared. And then while the movie was playing, this guy came running crazy with like his face full of scratches talking all crazy and, and everything and everybody's circling him he's like oh my god I see one now I'm and so like and like the thing that always stuck out to me that my dad would always say is she would always say mira mis bonitas don't you think they're pretty or something like that mm-hmm. and that's like how she would attack you yes. so that's kind of why that's in my short when she says mira mis bonitas it's just call back to my dad's stories he used to tell me there's a lot of crazy weird stories the, the urban legend I think is very simple it's just kind of men who are going from town to town sleeping with women on in transients if they're on their horseback and they're riding by a river they'll see a beautiful woman by the river washing clothes usually she's naked or she's wearing something that's very sheer and see-through that's white and she Mm -hmm. has long black beautiful hair and a very curvy body so why were you drawn to this theme do you have any gross men in your fam what's up i I don't know if they're gross men but i think also like during that time i was probably going through heartbreak and so i think i just combined a mix of this is i think let's see when i want like if you're from el salvador everybody knows who she is uh i love horror and then i think i was going through a weird relationship at the time that had stuck with me where it was a long distance relationship so i was in the bay area or she was in the bay area i was out in la and we tried to make it work for a little bit and it didn't quite work and then we did it as like an on and off thing where like i still had my thing in la she had her thing in the bay but we'd still always be like i love you i miss you Mm -hmm. and we'd always hook up whenever i would specifically go out to the bay area and visit her and she'd come out specifically to la and visit me and and i don't know it could just fucked me up yeah <laughs> like it fucked me up big like to the point where like in my current relationship in the beginnings there's probably a lot of red flags for for my girl but she i guess stuck through it you know so it wasn't about necessarily being unfaithful for you i don't know i never really delved that deep into it i know other people have asked me but i, I definitely feel some of the the things that they say or some of the things that like happen in there is something that either happened to me or like that i know from other people and i took inspiration from other people that i knew that were i think in latino culture too especially like you're when you're in, i mean i don't know if they're married and that's never really said but like if you're married you sort of try to make a relationship 
work. You, especially if you have kids, you got to die on this marriage. Like this marriage has to work. Even if your husband's unfaithful, if your wife's unfaithful, you got to stick through it and mm-hmm. you got to make it work somehow. And otherwise you, you're the shame of the town, I guess, you know, yeah. even yeah, if everybody yeah. knows that your husband or your wife is cheating on you. For sure. Yeah. And so I just think it's an interesting topic. A lot of my family also comes from broken homes or there's a lot of broken homes in, in like the newer generations where like my aunts, they had kids outside of wedlock or they have two or three sons with two or three different dads you know mm-hmm. and it's, i think it's just like an interesting thing that is in our culture and so there's like i, I think it, it's more of not just me but it's like my like interpretation of what i've seen throughout my family and, and i guess the culture of latino right like just yeah what i've seen and just kind of mix and matching everything and it's maybe it's not super prevalent but it's something that like is in my brain while i probably wrote it and like now that i'm slightly older since I've made it too and have seen more in my life. I feel mm-hmm. like, wow, probably is where it comes from, you know? Yeah. I was really drawn by the theme of just like this man getting into trouble. It was fun for me to watch Yeah, because he was such a dick. But it almost seemed like he couldn't help himself. Even as he's telling her that he cares about her, he's checking this chick out who walks right by and she's like, are you like, do you think I don't see you doing that? I think I've definitely been that woman. And so watching it for me was like, oh man, it's so obvious. Tell me about why the character in this short is scratched instead of killed. Yeah, so there's a few different reasons. So if, I guess in the legend, if you get scratched and you survive her, you're like bewitched for the rest of your life. And also you have these markings on your face as a sign of a cheater. Think of like Scarlet Letter A, right? Yes. Like, you know, so I love it. <laughs> it's kind of like that. But, you know, I get asked that question every once in a while and I always say I'm a little bit morbid. I'm like, do you want him to die really easily and just never learn from his actions? Or do you want him to suffer and be mortified for the rest of his life and really have to think about what he does and maybe yeah. be an example for other people? Maybe don't be a blatant douchebag. Yeah, don't be a douchebag. That's 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 the moral of the story. Yes. Yeah, don't be a douchebag. I always feel like these uh, urban legends are, are like a, a moral story of some sorts. You know? Yes, because you can be the guy who bones a bunch of chicks and is still respectful about it. You know, like yeah. I'm all about like us being free with our bodies. But when somebody's getting hurt in the process, that's not going to fly. We talked about the film. We talked about you going to film school. We talked about you not really knowing that you were Salvi for a while and then learning that you were Salvi. And now you're the, you said you're the senator? <laughs> Is that what I'm, you said? I'm not the senator, but one of my friends, uh, when he first met me, he thought I was very like whitewashed. He didn't even think I spoke Spanish. And now that he's like seen how I've connected with the culture, he calls me the Salvi senator. That's hilarious. Because, uh, you know, I have photos with the consul general of El Salvador, both in San Francisco and LA. I hang out with these influencers. I like go to all these events and just support, you know, and just trying to connect more. I've also been called whitewashed. What does that mean to you? What does it mean to be whitewashed? It just, I think personally, it just means you're not very front facing of what ethnicity or what culturally you are. And it's just kind of ambiguous. So there's, you know, you're white. So it doesn't like, doesn't, there's nothing front facing about you that makes me say, oh, he's obviously Latino. And I mean, obviously this is a podcast and you can't see me, but I think I'm very racially ambiguous. Like I've gotten Persian, I've gotten Indian, any sort of Middle Eastern. Same. So it's, it's, I don't know. I, I think that's what that really means. Interesting. I always 
had people say that to me about the way that I speak English. Like that because I speak English without an accent, that like, why do I speak English without an accent? Yeah, it was always just about how I speak. And I always felt really offended. Does that mean that only white people can sound like they don't have an accent? What does that mean? I don't know. But I, uh, I think I like your explanation more. It makes it sound less intense. I think that's what that is, though, because if you think about it, having an accent places you if like, for example, if you're black and you're, you're whitewashed, right? Like, mm-hmm. is it because you don't speak in the AAVE, whatever it's called, or Ebonics, whatever, whatever the term is, I don't know what it's, it is anymore. But or like if you're Hispanic, if you don't have a slight accent, like you grew up in the hood, mm-hmm. you know, is that is that what that means? You just sound like you're rich, like, you know, yeah. it's, it's always interesting to me as like an American, how how we put these issues on ourselves and our identity because if you think about it if you come from a from a different country like going to El Salvador like there's obviously everybody has a Salvadorian accent some have a different accent than others and that's because you're from El Campo right mm-hmm. which means you're slightly poorer or you're you live in poverty or whatever it is and then if you're from the city you speak a little bit differently maybe you speak more like a fresa but a fresa is such a general term that it doesn't you know like mm-hmm. it just means you're bougie right yeah <laughs> Uh, Or you have like a very neutral accent, you know, Mm -hmm. but everybody still uses the slang. So, yes, (laughs) I don't know what that means. Yes, I've lost a lot of my Nika slang because I don't hear it anymore. Oh, man. I actually uh, was up north and I visited with my aunt who recently found her like long lost mom. Great story. But she is Nicaraguense. Everybody in my family is Nicaraguense. It was like they were trying to keep the bloodlines pure and they all just mated with other Nicaraguenses. But I had not spoken to like an elder in the Nicaraguan community for a long time. And I don't know if any of your elders say this, but she goes, see, Pipe, blah, 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 and called me Pipe. And my grandma used to call me Pipe all the time when I was little. And I was like, oh, my God. And I had this moment where I was like, wow, there's these words that I've just lost through the years because I never got to use them. But when I hear them, it's almost like this little part of me lights up. Yeah, I know what that means. Do you guys use pipe? We do not. We use bicho, cipote, cipota. Mm. Um, That's it. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Every country has it. I know different parts of Mexico, too. Like they use morro or like. Yes. Guatemalans is Patojo. My, my girlfriend, her family is Guatemalan. So it's always like funny because they're also Central American, obviously. So there's a lot of similar words because the countries are right next door to each other. Yes. But they, they kind of make fun of me every once in a while. They're like, because sometimes when I'm on the phone, but I'm with somebody that's Salvadorian, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, he turned up this charm. He turned up the Salvadorian charm, whatever it is. And it's like, <laughs> it's true. Like when you're with your people, you want to like express yourself and you're, yes. it feels like you're connected somehow because there's a similar culture, there's a similar everything. And so it's more fun to, to be like pues si vos como estas you know like you just you turn <laughs> yes. it up you know like yes I love it's, that it's, it's fun I love that I can identify with that it is a form of code switching yeah I didn't even know code switching was a thing or a word or a set of words. So it's it's like when you're in an office and oh, you're very professional yes. you, but then when you go home you're like what's up dog how you doing yeah. <laughs> yes I definitely do this I speak a different Spanish to Ralph's family than I do when I'm on the phone with my dad. It's it's just exponentially better. It's exponentially more me, but I only get to be that person like in a very small window of my life because I only interact with my dad so much. 
Yeah. No, I, I get that. Like, I think when I was in college, that was when my Spanish was the worst because I'm far from home. I'm obviously hang out with like a lot of white people, a few Latinos, but you don't really speak Spanish. And especially mm -hmm. like amongst people your own age. I, I personally, like I've noticed, I don't speak Spanish to anybody unless they're, I guess for lack of a better word, an immigrant. Like mm -hmm. you can tell they're not from this country and that's the people that I speak uh, Spanish with the most. And yeah. I, don't, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but that's... That's how it works out. And then when I'm obviously in El Salvador or whatever, I speak Spanish. And so I didn't talk to my parents a lot in college. So my Spanish declined a lot. Like it was yeah. horrible. I think my Spanish is at its worst right now because I this is the time in my life where I've used it the least. If you watch videos of me as a little girl, and I've been thinking about releasing these, I do all of like my material in yeah. Spanish, uh, flawless, all of it, like yeah. up until like age six or seven, uh -huh. where I started to learn English in school. And then there's like a combination of the two. Yeah. And then all through elementary school, I, I still spoke Spanish really well because my grandparents were taking care of me all the time. But once I grew up and I was out of my grandparents' house, my Spanish just slowly declined. And like I could still get down. Yeah. But not in the way that I used to. There was a whole summer that I spent in Nicaragua, and that was probably my best Spanish ever. I don't think I spoke English that whole summer. Wow, that's awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, you just got to be more immersed, because I think the way that my Spanish improved was being with my girlfriend's family. Like, they're from Guatemala. They, they mainly speak Spanish, right? They speak Spanish at home, so I'm forced to speak Spanish. And so, like, my Spanish has skyrocketed to the roof, because that's all I'm speaking when I'm with them Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And now that I'm doing all these salvi things, and I meet more people that are actually actually from El Salvador or whatever, my Spanish has also improved tenfold because now I'm like speaking the same slang with them and everything. And it just, it helps. Yes. It helps. I love that your short has Spanish in it, that there's a combination and that you put subtitles. <laughs> I love me some subtitles at all times. Yeah. Yeah. I love subtitles too. Cause I lived in a noisy ass household. Yeah. So <laughs> if I'm watching a movie and my dad's right next to me, like playing some loud ass music while he's on the computer or something. So I always like, I love subtitles because I didn't want to rewind and say like, what did he say? You yeah. Know? No, I love subtitles. And sometimes people will come over and be like, can you turn those off? And I'm like, Ooh, okay. Noted. Yeah, but uh, to your point, it's like uh, when making this short, I always think about it as like I have three audiences. I have the non-Latino watching this. Yeah, I have the very generic Latino person, whether they're Mexican, Guatemalan, um, Cuban, whatever, they'll watch it and they have to connect with it somehow. And then I have my Salvadorian people that need to connect with it because obviously I'm Salvadorian. And so it's a difficult thing to mesh and blend. And so the only way to showcase that you're Salvadorian without saying I'm Salvadorian is by using our slang. Right. Yeah. So that's why I had a lot of Spanish in there, because like the word pajero to other people means jerking off. Right. But oh, to us, it means liar. Know. Right. You know, <laughs> you know, you know, as liar. Right. I didn't know it as liar. Oh, OK. So what did you know the word pajero as? I don't know it as anything. Oh, interesting. interesting. I would never use pajero. Interesting. Like it's, it's like you're jerking off. But baja for us is like you're lying. Oh, well, we, well, it's funny because um Mexicans say chinga, like chinga tu madre or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we say chingo, like chinga, una falda chinga is like, it's very short. Uh, and so one time I think my friend Eileen was at my house and then, yeah. and then my grandma says to me, like, ese vestido está chingo. And then Eileen was like, what did your grandma just say? And I was like, oh no, it just means it's short. There's a lot of that. Do you guys say pajilla? No. We say pajilla, yeah. Uh, but Mexicans say, say popote. popote. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but he has a very Central American word. 
Or like, for example, like why a lot of Mexicans, if I'm talking to them and they don't know what I am, they kind of like pinpoint that I'm not Mexican, but they kind of feel weird about it because I still use the word sos y vos, yes. mm-hmm. which a lot of countries use, yes. and that's a dead giveaway. But like there's other words there too, like cerote, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> big piece of shit, big yes, turd, yes. you know. Yes. I think for a lot of people that aren't Salvadoran, it's like a very weird, harsh word. But for us, it's it can be used as different things, right? It can be used as terms of endearment or it can be used as a fuck you. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that it was also a term of endearment. It oh. can be. It can be. Oh, but it, it, like I've heard other people Cerotito. say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you got to be careful of how you use it because, you know, obviously some people have kind of equivalented to the N word of oh. you can you can't say it to us, but we can say it to you. Or if you're Salvadoran, you can probably say it. But if you're not, it's like oh. a big offense to us, you know. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can't leave this room and use it in a Salvadorian community. Uh, I mean, you're Central American, so maybe you'll get a pass. I don't know. Okay. Uh, maybe if I use it in the proper context. In the proper context. I would right need people. to practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to practice your set out there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I will. I will do that. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's fun. Like, there's other words, I think, that like, hijo de la gran puta. Mm-hmm. You know, that's yes. like another like very Central American. Sort yeah, of I thing. say that a lot. Yeah, yeah I say yeah. that a lot. But I think it's so funny because uh, if you think of language, right? Hijo de la gran or a la gran puta, which is like so weird because Allah is like mm-hmm. God. Yes. <laughs> in Muslim culture. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. So I love it. I love that you get to explore all this stuff in your writing too. I really want to explore doing something in Spanish. And what I want to do is my season finale on this season of the podcast is interview my dad in Spanish. Oh, wow. That'd be cool. I'm really Will he agree ex- to it. Yeah, he already did. He's oh, nice. such a ham. He doesn't give a shit. He'll come in here and talk to me about anything. But nice. I am excited because I get to showcase the other version of myself that not a lot of people get to see and the older i get the more i want that part of me to be more present i don't do you follow tom segura at all no but i know who he is yeah the comedian he's like spanish or something yes he is and he just recently released i think his first spanish special oh wow and i was so impressed by him and this guy who i didn't like i thought he was just white and i didn't know that he had any latin roots at all and then i watched him do just a practice session like a podcast or something and I was like, man, that's amazing. I want to do something like that. I really want to showcase this side of myself because I don't want it to die. I don't want it to go away. And I really understand why the previous generations wanted to like push this as part of our, our culture is our language. Yeah. And the food and all of it, the way that we party. I don't know if you guys have purissimas, but at the end of the year, and Nicaraguenses have purissimas and it's like this huge, they're so Catholic. Yeah. There's a huge festival to celebrate the conception of christ and they have at every purissima there's a gigantona and it's Uh this giant woman that all these people carry around and she's just this like dancing (laughs) giant woman to celebrate the immaculate conception by the holy ghost or Mm -hmm. something yeah amazing yeah and like that's that's part of our and on the day of the conception they go around town and they like shoot fireworks and everyone goes quien causa tanta alegría and then people respond la concepcion de maria that's how they fucking party down there and they love it and (laughs) they're all getting hammered by yeah yeah in the name of jesus christ that's hilarious well ralph took me to a nicaraguan festival when we first Uh started dating and i was like that's so thoughtful thank you it was in southgate yeah so we go the food's fire i'm just like ordering it up and we're drinking beers in the beer garden and all of a sudden they started a full-blown mass like everybody stop what you're doing 
We're going to do an hour-long mass. Wow. I don't identify as Catholic anymore, but yeah. I also thought that was hilarious. I was like, this is per- this is it. This is how I grew up. This is yeah. what it was like in my house. Yeah, yeah, we could yeah. be partying, and then my grandma would be like, we're going to sit down and pray the rosary. Yeah. This is a whole other side of my identity that nobody knows about, yeah. which is that I grew up very immersed in my culture. And since then, I feel like I don't showcase it enough. Yeah. Right. Or at all. Right. I feel the same way as you were. Like we were saying, a lot of people think I'm whitewashed until I pull it out. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, <laughs> and, until I pull out the Salvadorian swagger and let people know yes. what I know, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's interesting though. Cause it, it, you know, props to our parents for, for showcasing us everything and, and letting us be immersed in that. But you know, it's our choice ultimately to yeah. continue it or not. And sometimes it's a little bit embarrassing depending it on is. how you grow up. And I, I feel sometimes embarrassed and not in the way where like I'm ashamed, but just nervous about what exposing that side of myself is going to do. Right. And I think it's to me, I think as a kid, even in college, like what what exhausted me is that it's an uphill battle of we live in a bigger culture. It's a Mexican culture. So everybody, everybody wants to compare everything to Mexican culture, which is fine. It's great because that's what everybody knows here. But it's. It's exhausting. Oh, yeah, it's like that, but different because we do this, this, and this instead, you know? So that's part of the battle. And, you know, now I guess I have a stronger endurance or stamina. I don't know. I love that. We had a lot of work done on our house. So, like, Ralph hired a bunch of paisas that he knows, and they all came to work on the house. And, like, anytime they would ask me a question, I was like, I don't know what you just said, dude. The Mexican Spanish, at least at the paisa working on your house level, like, I don't, I don't, (laughs) I don't know. what. And now I've gotten better at it because I've listened to it more. Right. But it took me a while to figure out how to immerse myself in Mexican culture and slang. And now that I'm in, I'm just like, man, I feel like I identify as Mexican, but I also like can jump into a Nika hangout. And that's a little easier for me. Like the yeah. Spanish is faster, but I understand it a lot better than I do. what you grew up with. Yeah. I love the Michoacan accent. That's like my favorite accent. Like I have a buddy that's from Michoacan. Like he was born and raised there, but he's been living here forever. Mm-hmm. But he's kind of like us where like he's an immigrant, but his name is Gabe. He has this workshop called Imagine That Workshop. That he does all these cool things. Every once in a while, when you get him to the, like, uh, not every once in a while, you get him to talk Spanish, his accent goes out, and he's, like, very happy, and I don't know, it's great. Like, I just, I love, I love that accent for some weird reason. I don't, I couldn't identify it in the lineup. I'd have to hear it. I need to hear the accent. You ever watch India Maria? Oh, man, it's been a long time. I guess that would be, like, the stereotypical okay. Michoacan accent, I'll look it I think, up. if I'm not mistaken. I really love accents. Let's hear what you've got going on, because we want to support Salvi culture, Salvi art. So tell us, how do we watch your film? How do we find you? How do we support you? How do we engage in what you're doing? Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so again, my name is Raimundo Archila. Archila is with one L. That's how you can find me on Instagram. Right now, I'm currently promoting my short film, Manhunt. That's the in- proper English name, because I don't know how to name things. I suck at titling things. But in Spanish, it's La Cionela. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So that's right now. I'm currently promoting that. And putting it on film festivals, so it'll be in a film festival circuit for a little bit. And once that's done, I'll put it out on YouTube or something for free. But you can watch it online. You can rent it through the film festival for like three bucks until August thirteenth. I don't know if it'll be out by then. I'm constantly working on new stuff. You can always find it on Instagram. I want to do a docu series on Salvadorian food. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm doing some research right now on on different restaurants and and what I really want to focus on is like the diaspora and how we've made like fusions of different foods and and mix their culture like. One, one that's like really popular right now it's also kind of controversial is the putaco oh 
Have you heard of this? <laughs> no, no. Tell it's me exactly everything. what it sounds like. It's a half pupusa, half taco. So basically, it's just like a pupusa as a taco, mm-hmm. um, the tortilla, and then you put the taco meat on top and the salsas, and you yes. can fold it or you can eat it like a tostada. I'm into it. Or a fork and a knife because it's kind of messy. But yeah. uh, there's there's a lot of stuff like that where people are reinventing the wheel with the food and just reincorporating, I guess, Mexican culture. When I was in El Salvador, there was this place called Cholo Maiz, which was really good, but it's like upscale restaurant. And that was so cool. Like I'd never been to an upscale restaurant in El Salvador that really put Salvadorian flavors in a new form factor, I guess. Yeah. So like they had something called crudo, which was kind of like eating Japanese food. It was kind of like eating sashimi. And instead of having like a ponzu or yuzu sauce and um, soy sauce, what they did is they put a shit ton of lime juice, some avocados, and then they had pepitas or mm-hmm. ayahuasca, as we call it in El Salvador. Mm-hmm. And they had like the raw fish and you're supposed to mix it. And when you take a bite of it, it reminds you of eating sashimi, but it's all the Salvadorian flavors and everything mixed into that. that. It, was, it was really cool. so cool. Yeah. I yeah. would love to eat that. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. Yeah. I am grateful to share in that kind of life experience. I've never had an opportunity to share what it felt like growing up as a Nika in a predominantly Mexican world. At least I just mean like my my immediate world, not that the world is Mexican. (laughs) Thank you for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. If you need any help with that docu-series, uh, just hire me as a PA or something. You can, I'll do it unpaid. I just want experience doing something like that. Okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Sweet. Podcast out. <laughs> yes, that's good. It's raining then. Delicious podcast. <laughs>